So we're in a season of Lent. We're reflecting on the cross and what it means for us to follow Jesus. And it's appropriate that we are talking about treasure. It's appropriate that we're talking about our relationship to money, possessions, and things. Because according to Jesus and the Bible, there is nothing that will challenge our commitment to him. There is nothing that will derail our commitment to him. There is nothing that will compete with our allegiance to him more than money and possessions and things. There's nothing Jesus says that will test your commitment and your relationship to me and whether it's genuine, authentic, and true than how you deal with and look at, perceive, money and possessions and wealth. So in this season of Lent, we're giving up a lot of things and we're doing this and that, but it is so appropriate that you and I evaluate our hearts and go, how am I doing in this arena of money, finances, wealth, and possessions? For anybody sitting here going, do we have to talk about this topic? Because I've got other spiritual issues. Let me tell you something. Your spiritual issues are intimately tied to money, wealth, and possessions. Jesus said it this way. It's sort of our theme verse. Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus had the audacity to say that our hearts are intimately tied to our treasures, to our money, to our possessions. Our hearts, our priorities, our value system, our, 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 our heart's affections, our allegiances, our loyalties, all of these things are intimately tied to money. Uh, your purchases, my purchases, are spiritual decisions that have spiritual ramifications. Um, we'll try a little exercise here this morning. How many of you would like more money? Wow! This is easier than I thought. Y'all are just like totally real this morning. Like, yep, that's me. I'd like more money. That's awesome. We're all real with each other this morning so we can move on, okay? So that's what our culture is like bombarding us with. It's interesting. Jillian, our worship pastor this morning, while we were praying before the service, she prayed a prayer that really resonated with She said, God, I pray for the sermon series and Peter and blah, 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 because she said, so many of my conversations throughout the week with my friends somehow is tied to this issue. How many of you guys would say that's true? Yeah, yeah, more here, here's, I guess, what I'm trying to do this morning. You and I need to do a radical paradigm shift where even though our culture bombards us to ask this question, you need more money. You need to make more money. How about we maybe ask the question that God is asking, which isn't how much do I, how do I make more money? So what kind of career path do I need to choose? What kind of a job do I need to get? I need to get into that school because that school is going to get me that job. I need to get to know those people. Instead of asking that question, the question I think God asks, wants to ask is, what am I going to do with all the money that I have? To which I know many of you are like, whoa, 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 whoa. Did you forget who your church is comprised of? We're a bunch of singles, college students, a bunch of social workers, teachers, 
bunch of people that work part-time, this and that. We're not rich. We're not wealthy. Man, you, you, you must be like wanting to preach in another church where people actually have money. And you say, what are we going to do all the money? No, 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 no. The only reason why you think like that is because we never leave the Chicago story and see the worldwide story. See, because if you don't leave Chicago's story, you're going, I need more money. I don't have enough money. I'm constantly feeling pressure because of money. When in the worldwide story, check this out. You're pretty rich. You're pretty wealthy. Still don't believe me? Okay. I have some friends that work at Starbucks, right? Part-time, because part-time they're doing other things, you know? Um, By the way, it seems like everybody that works part-time at Starbucks, I'm like, what do you want to do? And they answer, I'm trying to figure it out. That's like the comment, I'm trying to figure it out. To which I want to go to say people in our church, like, figure the darn thing out soon, you know? And get a job, like a real job. <laughs> oh, whoa, whoa, okay, okay. All right, all right, all right. Hold on, hold on. How many of y'all are like, that's right, clap. You feel that way. Thank you. Nobody's walked out yet. Okay, this is good. Okay, yeah, I, want you to, I want you to stay. I want you to stay. Stay. Okay, faces are red. Okay. I asked one of our friends. I said, how much you make at Starbucks part-time? This is what he said. He says he makes about $993 a month. That amounts to, by the way, is the PowerPoint working at all today? Is, is the sermon part? Okay, so can you flash up there? So this person makes $11,916 a year, okay? And you're going, that's not a lot of money. That's not a lot of money. Huh? 11, huh? So how am I going to live huh? You know what the bottom number is? That is the percentage of people in the world who make less than you. 87%, 88.7% of the people in the entire world, 6.2 billion people make less money than you as a poor part-time college student who's Okay, you go, I don't understand. Can you Okay, if there's 500 people sitting in this room, 435 people make less money than you. You are in a small select category of wealthy people. Okay, let's take it as not not higher. Okay, the average income in the United States is $36,934 a year. I think, give or take, you know, a little more, a little less. That's how much the average American makes, so about $3,077 a month. And guess what that puts you in? That puts you in the 97% income bracket. In the world. That means that close to 97% of 6.2 billion people in the world make less money than you. So, again, if there's 500 people in this room, that means that everybody except 15 people make less money than you. Everybody but this two front rows make less money than you if you make about $37,000 a year. Let's take it a notch higher. Okay, here we go. Okay, let's say you make $50,000 a year, okay? To which I know some of you are going, $50,000? What's anybody going to do with $50,000? $50,000 puts you in the 98.7% income bracket in the world. I know some of you are going, but you don't understand. We live in America. We pay taxes. The living standard of living, blah, 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 blah. Blah. 98.7% of the world makes less than you. That means 500 people in this room, if you make $50,000 or more, everybody except five people in this room makes more money than you. 
And our culture is just asking, you got to make more money. You need more. You're poor. You need to. $12,080% of the people. You got to realize really well how wealthy we are. Listen, poverty line for a single person in America. This is somebody who is now poor, like officially poor. They make $9,555 a year. And you know what that puts them in? It puts them still in the 85 percentile category. Now listen, listen. There are folks in our church with tremendous need. We have homeless men and women who are part of our church. And I'm not downplaying the enormous need of folks in our church. But the poor in this country, many of them live indoors. The poor in this country, many of them have access to electricity. The poor in this country have clothes on their backs and shoes on their feet. Or saying, I need more money. So y'all wish I would have told you why I asked you that in the beginning, right? <laughs> because you were like, yeah, I need more money. No, you cannot be a follower of Jesus without aligning your life in this arena. You cannot be a follower of Jesus unless you make this paradigm shift from, I need more money. I'm constantly feeling pressure and finance. And again, again, I would say this. There are folks in our church with legitimate financial pressures and needs. And I am not in any way knocking them. I'm speaking to myself and the rest of us, frankly, for whom the question we need to ask is no longer, how can I get more? But what am I going to do with all that I have? Hmm? Okay, we're going to dig into scripture here. And I want to just say a couple words. If you're not a Christian here this morning, <laughs> I, just, I just imagine this conversation, you know. Your, your Christian friend invited you to church, right? And your Christian friend was like, listen, listen, our church is different, you know. Like, we don't talk about money and stuff, you know. The pastor doesn't get up there and say, you need to give money. And you show up to there like, oh, crap, he's talking about money. I want to tell you something. Okay, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 12, because that's where we're going to be parked today. Okay. By the way, I just want to say this. You need to be here for the next three sermons, this one, next two, because I'm preaching on passages in seven years I've never preached on, you know? I just, confession, I've doubled up, you know, whenever I preach on sermon series on financial stewardship, you know, I've gone to kind of similar, different passages. So Luke chapter 12, look at verse 1. Look at verse 1. When a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling one another, Jesus began to f- speak first to his disciples. If you're not a Christian here this morning, I'm specifically speaking to you, okay? Now here, this passage is incredibly, incredibly uh, insightful because here's what Jesus is doing. He's talking to his disciples about money and wealth and possessions, right? But he's speaking in such a way that his disciples are hearing him, but he's speaking in such a way that the crowd, the outline crowd, people don't know him, believe him yet, I can overhear. So he's talking to his disciples about what it means to follow me, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ about money. But he's speaking in such a way that the outer side people who are just kind of like, I don't know yet, I don't believe in yet, I don't know if I'm a Christian yet, but he's saying, I want you to overhear. Why? Because you cannot get to know who Jesus Christ is or what he is about or what it means to follow him unless you hear what Jesus has to say about money, wealth, and possessions. You cannot get to know who Jesus Christ is. I'm telling you, you cannot get to the essence of Christianity. Now, here's the thing, though. Jesus doesn't want your money. 
through all the Gospels, there's one time where Jesus asked somebody for money. Do you remember? He says, it was in response to, who do we pay taxes to, right? And Jesus says, give me a coin, give me a coin, give me a coin. Gets a coin. He did teaching. What does he do? He gave it right back. One time in the entire Gospels where Jesus said, give me your money. God doesn't want your money. He wants something else. Well, he doesn't want your money. So don't take anything that I'm saying up here as God saying, I want your money. God, and Christians, Christians, let me tell you something. Every time, you know, Pastor Peter talks about stewardship, he's the God wants our money. Listen, God doesn't want your money. If God really wanted your money, he'd take it. The United States government does an incredible job of taking our money. You think God is not more powerful than the United States government? Can I get an amen on that? So you know why? If God really wanted your money, he'd take it. He doesn't want your money. He wants something else. He doesn't want something from you. He wants something for you. What is that? Let's look at our passage for today. Luke chapter 12. Jump down to verse 13. We are going to be talking about the parable of the rich fool. Someone in the crowd, verse 13, said to him, Teacher, tell my brothers to divide the inheritance with me. Here's what's going on. According to cultural customs of that time, the oldest one in a family got the lion's share of the estate. Some of us still come from cultures like that, right? The oldest sibling got... And so here's what's going on in this family. The oldest got almost all of it. And so the younger sibling is coming to Jesus saying, It's not fair. I need my share. Here's what's going on. Money is tearing this family apart. Hmm. How many of us know of family members or our own families where money has destroyed relationships? Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Money is tearing this family apart. Money is tearing this family apart. We're going to talk about this in a couple of weeks. The love of money is the root of all evil. Nothing more lethal than money to destroy relationships, even family. Maybe especially family. Oh, I could tell you about my family. We don't have enough time today, but maybe I will. My family on my mom's side is the epitome, is the epitome of how money has utterly destroyed relationships between brothers and sisters. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Verse 14, so Jesus replied, man, who pointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? In other words, Jesus saying, it's none of my business. That's not my job. I didn't come to arbiter, be an arbiter, judge between family. You know, my job in a different mission, different calling, different mission. Verse 15, then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. I love that. I love that. And some of y'all here last week, I love that. Because there's so much insight that we're just going to park a little bit here on watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. There's other places where Jesus got to the similar thing. Give an example, Matthew chapter 6, verse 22. He said this, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Here's what Jesus is saying. We're all in this room. It's well lit. But here's the thing. If our eyes are good, our sight is good, we can see. In this room full of light, because of light, we can see. And our bodies can see. In other words, our bodies can go about. We're not bumping into things. We're not bumping into people. Okay? If our eyes are good, our whole body is able to see. But if our eyes are bad, 
Even if there is light flooding this room, if our eyes are bad or eyes are unable to see, then our whole body, in a sense, is in darkness. What was Jesus getting at? Jesus was saying this. Greed. What is greed? Excessive concern for, worry about, love of, need for money and possessions. He's saying that greed and materialism. What is materialism? An inordinate desire or dependence on money and material things. Jesus is saying that greed or materialism has the peculiar effect of blinding you spiritually. Of distorting the way you see reality. There's a premise and an assumption in Jesus' statement that is so powerful. And that is greed and materialism will deceive you. Greed and materialism will fool you. Greed and materialism by nature itself hides itself from you. In other words, greed and materialism, blindness to it, is an intrinsic part of the condition. I spell it out this way. What do you... Does Jesus say anywhere else? Watch out for adultery. No. Why? Adultery isn't bad. We know the consequences of adultery. Why did you say watch out? Why did he not say watch out for adultery? Because when you're committing adultery, you know you're doing it. As I said last week, nobody committed adultery going, oh my gosh. Who are you? You're not my wife. What the? Nobody is walking out committing adultery going, who? What was Jesus saying? Greed and materialism is that sin that so blinded you that you don't even know you're doing it. You don't even know you're doing it. You don't even know you're doing it. Doing it. <laughs> Adultery isn't destructive? Absolutely not. But it's not as deceptive as greed. Can we all agree on this? I can see greed and materialism in your mirror, but I can't see greed and materialism in my mirror. You know what I'm saying? I can see greed and materialism in your mirror. Oh, he's greedy. Oh, she's materialistic. I can't see it in myself. Let's break this down. Let's break this down. Here are the principles. How does greed and materialism blind you spiritually? How does it distort reality? First, materialism and greed has the power to blind you about materialism. Nobody has ever in all of my years of ministry walked into my office to confess the sin of greed. Not one single person in all of my years, and I'm still waiting. I preached on this last Sunday, and still nobody says, I need a counseling appointment. Why? I just can't get a hold of this sin on greed and materialism. Nobody, why? Nobody thinks it's an issue. Nobody thinks it's a problem. Nobody thinks it's something that they wrestle with. Him, her, them, not me. You know, I thought about this, right? Broke it down, break it down some more. Why is that? Why is that? Here's some of the reasons. Do you realize that we live in a day and age where lifestyle of the rich and famous are flooded into our lives and our reality? Do you realize that? Right? So here's the picture, right? Here's the guy sitting in his expensive couch, okay? Watching Cribs on MTV, right? Going, look at that. Pa- oh, my goodness. 
secretly kind of envying, but on the other hand, totally judging them, right, for the lavish lifestyle, you know? And we're screaming at the top of our lungs inwardly as we watch our 58-inch HDTV. <laughs> I can see greed in them. Me? Oh, no. Here's another reality. I'm sitting at Starbucks, right? This is what it's like to live in an urban dense setting. I'm sitting at Starbucks. Table next to me is that hope-to-be journalist writer who's making like $18,000 a year, you know, working as a barista, coffee shop, while he works on his craft. Two tables next to him is that English journalism teacher who's making about $40,000, $45,000 a year. Three tables next to him or her is a publishing editor who makes about $100,000 a year. And two tables next to that is the guy who owns the publishing company, making a million dollars a year. And all of us are sitting at Starbucks. And I'm looking around going, oh, they're materialistic. No, they're greedy. Oh, compared to him? Not, no, but her? Him? Uh, 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 uh. Can't see greed in the mirror. Other people? Oh, yes. And third, don't we all have friends who make and spend a lot more money on themselves than we do, right? That's all it takes is Richard. Richard, Richard, he's greedy. He's much, I'm not, Richard is. All it takes is one person. Materialism blinds us about materialism. That's why you and I don't even consider the possibility that we might be greedy. Because there's a possibility that we might be materialistic. Because the problem is that we all know somebody. You know, we all know somebody. So I'm judging somebody sitting at Starbucks, driving their Mercedes Benz. I'm going, they're materialistic. And I'm not looking at myself going, what about you? What about you? Somebody recently did a research and said, And they came up with this. A third, one third, only one third of the households in the United States making $100,000 agreed with this statement. I can afford to buy everything that I really need. That means that over two thirds of Americans, two thirds who make $100,000 or more, don't think that they make enough money to afford the things that they need. Oh my. (laughs) We live in the wealthiest country, in the wealthiest nation, in the wealthiest time of all of human history. And yet we have people who think, I don't make enough money. Don't miss this. If the Bible says and talks about greed and materialism constantly as if it's rampant, and it says, watch out for it, then make it a working hypothesis that you have a problem with this. Make it a working hypothesis that it might be true of you. I'm not saying you are greedy and materialistic. I'm saying consider that you might be. Come on, let me say, when was the last time you just sat there and you thought, you know, do I really need to buy that? iPad. Woohoo! Do I really need to buy an iPad? I mean, what happened to, you know, 25 cents for a newspaper, you know, a good old newspaper? iPad. When was the last time you said, you know what? I am so thankful for this clunker of a car. I am so thankful. Other people have to take CTA. At least I have a car. Goodness gracious. I don't think like that, do you? You know, recently I got into a car with a friend of mine who bought a brand new car. You know, you know that new car smell? You know, you know what my car smells like? My car smells like family. All right? That's what my car smells like. All right? You walk into my car, what's that smell, Peter? That's family, man. <laughs> That's called kids, okay? That's called McDonald's on the floor, 
okay? And poop and pee on the car seat. That's what that is, so shut up. When, when is the last time you just sat there and you, on your own, without Peter preaching, when's the last time you said, you know what? Why am I giving so little away? Why am I giving so little away? When's the last time you went there on your own? Watch out. You might be blind. You might be deceived. If you're here today and you're going, Man, you might be talking about somebody else. That's not me. I think it's like alcoholism. The first sign that you're an alcoholic is that you're unwilling to even consider the possibility that you are. Two, greed and materialism keeps you from asking hard questions. Hello? Why do you think Jesus says, watch out? He's saying, hey, who's there? Who goes there? What's going on? What's He's saying, ask questions. Are you asking questions? Are you asking hard questions about yourself? If you're not, you are voluntarily being blind. What kind of questions? Okay, guys, you guys ready? We're going to do some surgery here this morning. Here are the questions if you're asking. Number one, why am I working this job? Why am I working? Or let's take it further. Why do I want that job? Why do I want to leave this one, get that one? Why are you in school getting that degree? Why am I working this job? Because here's the thing about materialism and greed. Materialism and greed has the power to cause you to choose a job, not because you love it, not because you're good at it, not because it helps people, but it just helps you make money. How many of us in this church, look, I know who I'm preaching to. How many of us are young professionals? How many of us are on track for jobs? How many of us are in jobs? Not because we're good at it, helps people, it glorifies God, so on and so forth, but because we just want money. And want status. Want to buy that car. Want to live in that neighborhood. Buy that house. Wear those clothes. Why are you working this job? What about the conduct of your job? What about the conduct of your job? What do I mean? A lot of companies are making money but are hurting neighborhoods, towns, and people. I just saw Food Inc. last night. Food Inc.? Wow. Wow. Made me want to go out and eat a burger. (laughs) Companies are making money but hurting neighborhoods, towns, and people. Now, here's the thing. Do you think these companies are saying, yes, we're making money, but we're ruining the environment? (gasps) No, they're not doing that. Nobody's doing that. But here's the question. Are you asking? Are you asking? Are you asking? What's my company really doing? The people that I work with, are, they, are we helping communities? Are we helping towns? Are we helping the environment or ruining it? Are you asking? Do you even want to know? Many of us don't even want to know. But see, that's greed. That's materialism. Greed and materialism doesn't go, I'm working for this company, and we are gouging the poor and the needy. <laughs> That's not what greed and materialism does. Nobody does that. You know what it does? You go, I don't want to know. I don't want to. Uh, don't, don't, don't tell me. Don't tell me, what my, no, no, don't tell me what my company does. Oh, no, don't tell me what my core. No, no, no. We just don't even want to know. We're not asking the hard questions. Second question. Are you asking What about my lifestyle? (laughs) Materialism keeps you from asking hard questions about your lifestyle. Do I really need to spend this much money on eating out? 
Do I really need to be spending this much money into my apartment or for my apartment clothes or cars? And again, because we immediately think of people who are making more money and more materialistic greed than we are, we never ask the hard questions. We don't want to go there. Are you asking hard questions about your spending habits? Are you asking hard questions about where your money goes? Are you asking hard questions about your lifestyle and how much we might be spending on ourselves and very little of it going to help the needy? Practical is, do you guys have anybody in your life, Christians, communities of people, who are keeping you accountable, who are asking the hard questions, hey, 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 how are your spending habits? Who are asking you weekly, monthly basis, hey, hey, are are you living for yourself or for others? Hey, hey, are you being generous with your resources? Hey, are you giving more of what you can to other people? How many of us actually have people in our lives who are asked? Many of us don't. Why? Because we don't even want to ask those questions ourselves. When we're making purchases, we're going, I'm not thinking. Of, I don't want to think. I know what this means. But I don't. When I don't have other people go, hey, hey, where'd you go this week? Where'd you spend your money this week? It's none of your business. Actually, if we're part of Christian community, it is very much our business. Thank you very much. That's the whole point about greed and materialism. The power of greed is to not ask, is to not think. And we're going around saying, eh, it's not true of me. Other people, it's not true of me. Is there anybody in this room, is there anybody, can, is there anybody in this room who dares say, you know what, I'm doing fine? Is there any, I mean, outside of exception of a handful of folks, can we really honestly say, you know, I'm doing fine. I can't give more away. You know, I can't simplify my lifestyle anymore. I can't be more radically generous. I've reached the upper limit. Is there anybody in this room that could honestly say that? Watch out. Have for more questions. How are you to ask? Do I have resources and use them to maintain and pursue a lifestyle that is at the upper limits of what I can afford? If your lifestyle is chasing your income, you're blind. If your lifestyle is constantly chasing, you know what, can I just say, for many of us, you know the pressure that we feel? It's artificial. For some of us, the pressure, financial, it's genuine, it's real. But for a lot of us, it's artificial. We create it. You know why? As we make more money, we increase our lifestyle. As we make more money, we increase our lifestyle. As we make more money, we increase our lifestyle. We're constantly chasing. Second question, do I let fear of losing my lifestyle keep me from being generous? Third question, do I compare myself primarily with those who have either the same or greater standard of living than me? Fourth question, do I ever consider how I can simplify my lifestyle to free up resources to invest in the kingdom? Is this hard? You know, the Bible does give one clear guideline as to see if we're anywhere close to the generosity that God outlines. It's called the tithe. And I'm going to talk about, about that in the next couple of weeks. Tithing. I mean, just to be simple, some of y'all, you used to tithe. You just stopped doing it. You just stopped doing it. And for no good reason. You stopped doing it. And if you really, really thought about it, it's probably because, for many of us, our lifestyle has expanded. There's no room to give. They want them to give the tithe. 
Verse 15. Let's go on. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. <laughs> you know what I love about the Bible? It's just so straightforward. You know what it's saying? He's saying, living your life and feeling a sense of satisfaction in life doesn't equate to having things. And we know that intellectually, we know inside we go, just because you have things and you spend money, a lot of money, doesn't mean that you have life. Some of the most miserable people I know are some of the most wealthiest people I know. We know that intellectually, but emotionally, here's what Jesus is getting at. This is what I, you know, if there was an alien who came to earth and just observed us and they went back and reported what they observed about earth, here's what they would say. They would say, we watch those earthlings. And you know what they do? They gather, 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 gather and spend, 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 spend. They gather, 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 and they spend, 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 spend. It's as if if they don't gather, 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 and spend, 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 like they're going to go extinct. It's like their survival depends on gather, 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 spend, 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 spend. There they go. They gather. Oh, look at them go. Look at them go. Look at them go. There it is. They're coming back. Smile on their faces. It's as if their life and they have the ability to live life is dependent on whether they gather, 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 spend, 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 spend. Let me ask some questions if you think that's not true of me. How many of y'all spend money? And go shopping to make yourself feel better. Oh, you're raising your... Wow! This is like the most real event we've been in a long Like, I'm so thankful for you guys. Like, that's me. I do that. When I feel discouraged, when I feel depressed, when I feel like, pick me up. You know what I do? I spend money. Abundance of life doesn't consist in having things. Here's another question. How many of you guys... Does eating out at expensive restaurants make you feel significant? Does living in certain neighborhoods and driving certain cars make you feel like you've arrived? Here's another question. How many of y'all daydream about, man, if I had more money? How many of y'all daydream about, what do I need to do to make more money? How many of us last time thought, oh, I wish I had more of Jesus? How many of us last time thought, you know, if I only had more of Jesus? How many of last time instead of going, if I find the right job, I would have opportunities to make money instead of thought, if I find the right job and if I could only find a job that would give me more opportunities to serve Jesus? Where your treasure is, that your heart be also. And it goes on. Verse 16. And he told him this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. In other words, he's rich, he's a farmer, and he's expecting a certain amount of crop, and he made more. Voila! And listen to what he says. He thought to himself, oh no, what am I going to do? I have no place to store my crops. You know, he's going, he's going, oh no, my barn and my house is only so big. And I got all this other crop left over. It's like flowing out of my house, flowing out of my barn. Oh, boo, freaking who? Poor me. What am I going to do? You're going, who would say that? Uh, I wish I had a better apartment. I wish I had a nicer house. I wish I didn't have a car that smelled like family. I wish I had a car that smelled like new car. You know what I mean? Verse 18. Then he said, so this is what I'll do. I will tell down. Listen to the pronouns. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I, I, I will restore all my grains and my goods. In verse 19, and I'll see to myself. You have plenty of good things laid up for many years. So take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Here's the third sign that we've been affected by greed and materialism. It is constant worry. Uh, 
Two things real quick. If you have a lot, the constant worry here is uh, you're worrying because you don't want to lose what you have. Because we worry about what we don't want to lose, right? Right? We worry about what we don't lose. So for some of us, this means this. This means we're sitting here going, I'm constantly worried about money because I have a ton, but I don't want to lose it because that's my identity, my security, my significance. But then the beauty of this passage, though, is Jesus also says, it's not just for the rich and those who have a lot. Worry. And the sign that you are blinded to be materialism is somebody who is worried, worried, worried when you don't have much. Because Jesus goes on in the rest of this parable. He talks about, don't worry. You guys know this if you grew up in church. Don't worry about your food. Don't worry about your clothes. Don't worry about your livelihood. Don't worry about your living standard. And Jesus is saying, if you're constantly worried about this and that, and then he's saying you're constantly worried that you are just as greedy, just as materialistic as the overtly greedy person. This is a reason why Jesus says, watch out for all kinds of greed. Because the commonality between the rich fool says, I'm going to worry, worry, because I don't want to lose. And someone who says, I'm constantly worried because, because I need this and I need that. And, then the, and, and, and so I can't be generous. I can't give. The, the similarity between those two is that both of you are looking to money and possessions to be your security. You're looking at money and possessions to give you control in an uncontrollable world. You're looking at money and possessions to say, hey, I'm afraid of circumstances and I can't control that or what might happen. So the way that I'm going to maintain control in my life is I am going to worry and anxious and keep. I can't give. I can't afford to give. I wish I could, but I can't. Why? Because, because what if recession comes? What if I lose my job? What if I can't find a job? And so in order for me to build security, in order for me to have control in this uncontrollable world, is that I will keep, I will store, I will not share. And Jesus says in verse 20, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. What is he saying? He's saying it's a lie to think. It's foolish to think that you can control your world. You can control your environment. You can control what happens around you by building up security with money. Because we all know that money can't build security. Money can't stop accidents. Money can't stop illnesses. Money can't stop cancer. Money can't stop broken marriages. Money can't stop. And the parable of the story, death. Money can't stop death. You want to control, 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 maintain. You think I have control in an uncontrollable world. And And God says, you can't even control how many years you have on this earth. What makes you think you can control your world? The biggest fallacy for this guy, and the biggest fallacy for many of us is this. We forget that we don't control anything. Can I get an amen to that? Ah. <laughs> See, this guy, he forgot. He can't control the crops, can he? No, he can't control the weather. He can't control when it rains. He can't control when the sun comes out. He can't control the locusts. He can't control, he can't control any of those things. And he says, mine, mine, mine. And God comes along and says, you don't control anything. So what are you going to do? 
control. I'm going to keep control. I'm going to control the world. I will build security. I will buy into this lie fallacy that says, I'm going to take care of me. Or are you going to utterly and totally trust God and saying, God, you know I can't control circumstances. Oh, I know, but I can. God, you know I can't control the economy. Oh, I know, but I can't. God, you know I can't control the future. Oh, I know, but I can. So why not involve me? Instead of keep, store, secure, worry, anxious, because I can't. For many of us in this room, this is the issue. You don't make a million dollars. You don't even make $100,000. But the reason why you're not radically generous, you're going, if I don't take care of me, who will? That's exactly what he's thinking. And God goes, you fool. You don't even control. Hmm. Verse 20. God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? Church, who? Who will get? Says the letter S, two words. Someone else. (laughs) Who will get your stuff? Someone else. Why? Not because you're generous, but because you're dead. (laughs) What a life. What a legacy. Oh, I... I consumed and controlled and no, 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 no. Because I thought I was going to take it all with me. And God says, time to go home, son. Okay. Uh, you can't, you know, can't take it with you. You ask your family, and was like, shove it in the coffin with you, you know, and bury it with you. But at the end of the day, can't take anything with you. Can't control the number of years you live. Can't even control how much you make, frankly. Really, at the end of the day. God says, I own it all. Verse 21. Then this is how it will be with anyone who stores up for things for himself, but is not rich towards God. Let me wrap this sucker up here. If you're making $36,934 and you work for 40 years, 40 years, so, you know, you're a late bloomer. You get a job when you're 25. And you work till you're 65, 40 years. This is how much you make in your entire life. An average American will make about a million four hundred seven. Now I know some of you are sitting there going, but if you take out the taxes, blah, blah, blah. I know. Just for the sake of argument, okay? Like other people in other countries don't pay taxes? Give me a break. You make a million close to you have a million five in your hands in your entire lifetime. And we're going, I need more money. I need to make God's going, what are you gonna do with all that you have? Perspective? Average age warner, a wage earner in the world. Average person in the world, this is how much they make a year, $675. And frankly, for many people in the world, they work a lot longer than we do for many more years. So let's have this person work 52 years until they're 77. My grandfather was a farmer. He worked well into his 80s. He worked 52 years, and they will in their entire life, entire life, make $35,100 in their entire lifetime. You're going, man, I can't even relate to that. Okay. Haiti, average wage earner. Haiti, yeah, the images that have been flashed into our living rooms every day. Average wage earner in Haiti makes $730. That means if that average person in Haiti worked for 52 years, their entire lifetime, they have $37,900 in their hands. In their entire lifetime. 
How many of you are still going, I need more money? I need to make more money. I need more things in my life. God is saying, you have so much. Many of us will have a million five, just as an average wage earner. Average wage earner, million five. David Caraga, please come up. Average wage earner in America, a million five. A million five in our life, in the course of our life, a million five. And we're going, God, I need more in my hands. I need more in my hands in order for me to do what? Kingdom work or, I don't know, keep up with the Joneses, you know. Do you know why this series is called Treasure? Because here's the thing. I'm not going to sit here and go, so give your money to Jesus. And the, I'm not going to do that. You know what I'm going to do? Because, look, look, if, if out of this, if out of this, you know, there's, there's, so there's a reason why I could, but I'm not going to show you slides of children in Haiti. Because many of you are going to go, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. And you're not going to give for the right reasons. Because giving out of guilt, giving out of some, some, some sense of, you know, oh, I feel so bad for them, so on, so I don't think honors God at all. I don't want you to give because you feel guilty, you feel condemned. I don't want you to give. I don't want you to be a generous person because of these things. No, I want us to go all the way back to the foundation of it all, and that is Jesus. I love talking about Jesus in every area. And he is, he is so important as we talk about this. Think about this. This is the man who, when he walked on the face of the earth, never asked anybody for a penny, okay? Never asked. And one time he did, he gave it right back. The way that I want you and I to approach this topic is asking this question. What is your treasure? What is your treasure? What is your treasure? Seriously. Every single one of us in this room, we have something that's our treasure. We have some. What is a treasure? Treasure is that thing that we're looking at going, oh, if I have that, if I, have, if I can gain that, because I have this, I am worth it. Or if I have that, then it'll be all worth it. The precious. Every single one of us has something in our lives that we're looking to say, that's my treasure. That's, if I have that. Now, here's the thing about treasure. And you know this, some of you, because of your career, because of music, because of whatever. Every single treasure on this earth, you know what it does? It says it will enslave us. It will drive us. Because every single treasure on this earth says you need to sweat blood and tears in order for me to gain it. You need to give everything. You need to sacrifice it all to gain this treasure. Every single, every single one of us know the experience of that. Pursuing that treasure of that career, you have sacrificed everything for it. Pursuing that treasure of family, you have sacrificed everything for it. Every single one of us has a treasure. I want to show you a verse that you've read a thousand times, but maybe for the first time today will come alive to you. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. This is the NASB translation. It says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possessions. Some of you in the NIV, it says, you are a people belonging to God. Literally, in Greek, it's people for God's own possession. And God's own possession in Greek is literally the Greek word, treasure. You know why that's important for me? What do you give somebody who has everything? What do you give somebody who has everything? Think about it. What do you give Bill Gates? Where he would look at it and go, whoa! whoa. What do you give somebody who has everything? You know what that verse has audacity to say? God, who has the stars, the universe, the galaxies, the God of the universe, who has the entire universe in his hands, the God of ultimate beauty, God of ultimate status, says there's one thing, one gift to me that makes my heart skip a beat. You know what that is? That is who? You! 
universe, our creator God says, when I get that, why Jesus died for you? Do you know why we're going to think about the cross this entire Lent season? I don't know some of you think. Jesus died for us because we were his heart's treasure. And just as any treasure would demand and demand and ask that we sacrifice, we give our all, sweat, blood, and tears for it. Here's the thing about Jesus. Jesus is the only treasure in the entire universe that says, I don't want you to die for me. No, instead, I will come and die for you. I will come and pay the necessary sacrifice to obtain you. The Bible says he was stripped, stripped of all his clothes and stripped of his body and his skin and his flesh on the cross. And when that stripping took place, it was just a larger echo of the ultimate stripping of a God who had ultimate status, a God who had ultimate security, and yet on the cross, he looks at you and me, the only treasure he's ever wanted, and he says, for that, I will willingly even go to hell. And unless you get that, it doesn't matter how many sermons you hear me preach. Unless you understand what Jesus Christ did for you, unless you understand that when God looks at you, God's own treasure, his heart <gasps> skips a beat. Unless you realize that you're that value, that treasured, that incredibly precious to him, money will always be significant. Money will always be security. Money will always be my joy. But if Jesus Christ is your treasure, it'll just be money. Not your significance. It'll just be money. Not your security. It'll just be money. And not your all in all. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8, here's the reason why I want you to give. I want you to think about his grace. I'm not going to show you slides of starving children. I said, I want you to think about the grace. That though he was rich, that he became poor for your sake. Though he had it all, he lost it all for your sake. Unless you're powerfully blown away by that grace, you'll never open your heart. Where your treasure is, Maybe at the end of this series, some of us will begin to think, ah, if I had more of Jesus. Oh. Maybe at the end of this series, say, oh, if only I got a chance to know him more. God, this is our prayer um, as we come and partake of communion today. God, my prayer. For so many of us in this room, who are afraid, who are insecure, you know what? I just sense the Holy Spirit saying, Peter, shut the heck up. Let them listen to my voice. So I'm just going to do that. I'm just going to be quiet. I'm going to give you a few moments just to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Come on, Jesus. Turn your turns.
turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful grace. And the things of earth will grow strangely dead in the light of His glory and Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful grace. And the things of earth will grow strangely in the light of His glory. Sing this with us. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful grace. And the things of earth will grow straight in the light of His glory and grace. Jesus Christ on the night that he was betrayed took bread and when he broke it he said this is my body broken for you because you're his treasure. And then he took the cup, the cup of the new covenant and he said this is my blood blood shed for you so that there will be found forgiveness of sins. forgiveness of sins given freely by faith by grace and faith as you come up today to partake of communion we have our prayer team stationed all over this sanctuary I please 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 beg and plead of you to go to somebody here today and pray acknowledge your sins if you need to greed and materialism maybe for the first time ever in your entire life and say will you pray for me that I might see and that I might be set free. And do business with God and continue to worship with us as we sing. Turn your eyes. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonder. And the things of earth will grow Pray together with me, God. As we leave this place today, Holy Spirit, will you continue to speak to us? Continue to speak to us. 
you are God's chosen race, a holy nation. You are God's treasured possession. Treasured possession. Leave this place with that knowledge and that truth embedded in your soul. That where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. As we continue our series for next week, we will be talking about contentment. Contentment. And what it means to be people of God. Who are that? Have a great week. We'll see you back here next week.